Chapter Twenty Two of the Wife of the Secretary of State. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marianne. The Wife of the Secretary of State by Ella Middleton Tybout. Chapter Twenty Two. Colonel St. John, on leaving his residence, drew on a pair of fresh gloves and walked briskly up the street. He intended to do a little New Year's visiting, and the prospect was exhilarating, for he was by nature gregarious and had been for some time debarred from the pleasures of society. Therefore he walked quickly, with head erect and shoulders well back, as became a military man. Threading his way among the carriages and pedestrians which blocked the street before the house of the Secretary of State, he hesitated a moment, then walked boldly up the broad stone steps, in the wake of the German ambassador. The diplomatic corps had called upon the president, and its members were now assembled in full regalia to partake of the breakfast annually tendered them by the Secretary of State. Madame, remarked Monsieur de Pre impressively, may the new year contain for you only happiness. And the little Frenchman, having exchanged the compliments of the season with his hostess, twisted up the ends of his moustache and passed on. How tired she looks, la belle madame he remarked to Lyndhurst, whom he encountered in the doorway. The season has begun to weary her. The Englishman, after a moment's survey, acquiesced. She looks ill, he said quietly, but then she has been standing a long time at the White House. No doubt, as you say, she is tired. Monsieur de Pre turned to greet an acquaintance, and Lyndhurst resumed his position in the doorway, enjoying the brilliant spectacle for the representatives of the various countries wore their native costumes, and the spacious rooms glowed with the colors of the Orient, and glittered with the gold lace and uniforms of many nations. The Chinese minister conversed amicably with the secretary, whose tall, spare figure, in its black coat, looked somber indeed beside the robes celestial of his guest, and Lyndhurst smiled at the contrast. Suddenly he saw an ashen pallor overspread Mrs. Redmond's face, and she swayed as though about to fall. Recovering herself with a visible effort, she extended her hand to the British ambassador, and returned his salutation. Following the direction of her eyes, the young attaché saw nothing alarming, merely the dignified back of an old gentleman in severely correct morning costume about to pass into the adjoining room. Lyndhurst recollected that Miss Bird was also there, and prepared to follow him. As he turned to do so, he saw Count Valdmir enter and greet Mrs. Redmond. He also saw her whisper a few hurried words, to which the Russian apparently made a soothing reply and immediately sought the dining-room. Lyndhurst wondered greatly. He had found much food for reflection since his sojourn in America, and the longer he thought, the more puzzled he became, so he merely followed the example of the old gentleman and went into the dining-room. Colonel St. John had yielded to a sudden impulse in presenting himself at his daughter's house. He knew he would have no difficulty in gaining admittance, as he had among his relics of past prosperity garments suitable for the occasion. He trusted to the severely aristocratic bearing he could assume when necessary to conceal the fact that though said garments were of irreproachable fit and quality, they were somewhat out of date as to style and handed his overcoat to the servant so haughtily that the man forbore to notice its cut and deposited it among its fellows with marked respect. He had no definite object in view, 
and was well aware of the risk he ran in thus exposing himself to public gaze. Colonel St. John, however, had nursed a wounded spirit ever since his daughter had visited him, and was sullenly determined to extort money from her in spite of the injunctions to the contrary he had received from Count Baldmere. Also, he wished to prove to the latter that he possessed some independence of spirit. In fact, he had grown restive under his chains, and thought he saw an opportunity to escape through his daughter, or his daughter's husband. Consequently, like certain species of wild animals, Colonel St. John cringed before his master while entirely in his power, but snarled and showed his teeth when escape seemed not impossible. As to Lyndhurst, well, he trusted to the crowded rooms to avoid him. Moreover, a contingency had recently arisen making it most desirable for him to leave America as speedily and quietly as possible, and he felt convinced that the time had arrived when a bold stroke was advisable. The colonel, therefore, bowed low before Mrs. Redmond, and much enjoyed the pallor which overspread her face and the trembling hand extended to the British ambassador, who followed in his wake. Already he saw himself living in luxurious idleness in some congenial retreat across the water, with a bottomless purse in Washington always to be opened by a suggested return to that city. So he entered the dining-room jauntily and helped himself to a glass of wine. Colonel St. John had been a connoisseur in wine before his palate had become vitiated by bad whiskey, and the vintage offered his guests by the secretary was beyond reproach. The colonel took a second glass immediately, then made the circuit of the room and lifted another decanter. He evidently thought he was going to enjoy himself very much. Count Valdmir followed Colonel St. John to the dining-room as quickly as possible. "'Do not be alarmed,' he had said quietly to Mrs. Redmond, in reply to her agitated whisper. He shall go immediately. I will see to it. The Russian anticipated no difficulty in fulfilling his promise. He felt coldly angry that his tool should thus have taken the initiative, and determined to bring their relations to a close as speedily as possible, and ship him to some remote corner of the world where he could be kept stationary by police surveillance. "'This is an unexpected pleasure, Colonel,' he remarked politely, appearing suddenly at the old man's elbow. Colonel St. John, however, was on his guard, and not to be surprised by a flank attack. "'The pleasure is wholly mine,' he replied suavely, in his most impressive manner. "'I was much surprised, Colonel, to meet you here.' "'Is it not the custom in Russia, Count, for a man to visit his daughter?' There was undeniable challenge in the last remark, and Colonel St. John raised his glass with the smile of one who has uttered a bon mot and awaits its effect.' The Russian glanced hastily about the crowded room, and saw that they were unobserved, so he stepped closer to his companion, with bent brows and threatening aspect. "'Do you forget the police?' he said in a hurried whisper. "'If you become troublesome, I can easily send them to you.' "'How well it would look in the newspapers,' replied the old man reflectively. "'I can see the headlines now. Father of Mrs. Redmond, the wife of the Secretary of State. In large type, you know.' "'By the way, Count,' he continued slowly, "'I wish you would visit me at my secluded residence. "'I need your assistance. "'There was an unfortunate contretemps. "'I am in difficulty. "'Quite an embarrassing position for one of my years. "'I have, no doubt you will be surprised to hear it, "'a guest.' "'A guest?' "'Colonel St. John moved towards an open space "'behind some potted plants. "'Let us stand here,' he said composedly, "'out of the crush.' What a brilliant scene! 
It quite recalls other days. Yes, Count, a guest. You remember the paper in which you are interested? Be careful. Yes. Did you get it? Ah, thereby hangs a tale. The day after Christmas, my duty to my country, and to you, kept me in the State Department until quite late at night. I went out the door opposite the mall, preparatory to seeking Jackson City, and— Well? Colonel St. John did not reply. His eyes were fixed on the opposite doorway in a helpless, glassy stare, and his knees shook in a manner much at variance with his former air of easy braggadocio. Lindhurst, he gasped. He is looking this way. I think he knows me. Upon reaching the dining-room, Lindhurst adjusted his eyeglasses and looked for Miss Byrd. Before he discovered her, however, he chanced to glance at the opposite corner, and noticed the figure he had seen a short time previous, and whom he judged to be an unwelcome guest. As he looked, his first idle curiosity was replaced by incredulous astonishment, gradually changing into unwilling conviction. And Mrs. Redmond, standing a few inches behind him in the broad hall, looked also with a sickening sense of impending catastrophe, not unlike the moments of oppressive breathlessness immediately preceding the crash of a storm. "'He recognizes you,' observed Count Valdmir coolly. "'I'm not sorry. Your blood is on your own head. "'You'll help me out?' "'Not I, Colonel. You came uninvited, and you may get out the best way you can.' The old man laid a shaking hand on his companion's arm. "'Listen,' he said quickly. "'I was just going to tell you. I've got the paper.' "'Which paper? I lack two. "'The first, the story of the Roostchik case, the confidential history, the underside. "'Turn your head aside. Lindhurst may not be sure of you. "'Now give it to me. "'It is not here. I left it in my room. "'If I get away safely, safely, Count, you shall have it. "'Otherwise it is lost to Russia.' "'Count Waldmir hesitated a moment, then lifted the heavy portiere beside him.' This passage, he said hurriedly, leads into the front hall. Be quick. I will see that you get out safely, because I need your assistance. I will also accompany you to the front door, to make sure you do not conceal yourself anywhere in this house. As I told you, she shall not be annoyed by you while I can prevent it. This way, Colonel. I will see you later. I must have that paper to-night. Do you understand? Lindhurst watched the two figures disappear behind the heavy portiere. Instinctively he turned to follow them, but paused abruptly, for his hostess stood directly in his path, her eyes raised to his, filled with the dominant note of appeal that he had once before encountered. As he hesitated he heard the front door close. The Englishman took out his monocle, polished and carefully readjusted it. It was his ever-present refuge in moments of embarrassment. "'Madame,' said Count Valdemir, appearing suddenly beside them, Will you not allow me to get you a glass of wine? One should welcome the new year cordially, eh, Lindhurst? I do not want the wine, said Mrs. Redmond, as they turned away. But I must sit down a moment. My head whirls. He drew forward a chair in an alcove in the hall, screened by a tall palm and comparatively quiet. Do not be troubled, he said gently. He has gone. I shall insist upon his leaving the country immediately. You are kind sometimes, Count, and I am grateful. She rested her head against the high, carved back of her chair, 
and it seemed to the man looking down upon her that the dark mahogany afforded a most appropriate setting for the pure flesh tints against it. Count Valdmir possessed decidedly artistic tendencies, and appreciated a picture perfect in all its details. "'I'm tired,' she said, closing her eyes wearily. "'Very tired.' Outside a carriage door slammed, and the roll of wheels filled the ensuing pause. The Russian attaché stood for some moments in silence, and when at last he spoke it was reluctantly, as though he would gladly have left the stillness unbroken. "'It is Thursday,' he said slowly. The dark lashes lifted suddenly, and a soft flush replaced the pallor of the cheeks as she replied in a voice which hesitated somewhat, as though unwilling to perform its task of articulation. "'You have said very kind, very complimentary things to me sometimes, Count. I wonder if you mean them. I wonder if you really—care.' He came closer and leaned over the back of the chair, his hands grasping the grinning griffins carved upon its arms. Care, he said hoarsely. How like a woman! Care! Hush, she interrupted. We will be noticed. It is, as you did not fail to remind me, Thursday. I will keep my word unless you voluntarily release me. Now listen. She paused and touched her lips with her lace-edged handkerchief, while the rose in her corsage stirred uneasily. Tonight, she resumed with an effort, I had promised to meet you. Instead, you may come here at ten o'clock. I will receive you alone. Quite alone? Quite alone, Count Valdmir. Senator Byrd gives a stag dinner, and my husband is a guest. I can allow you one hour. An hour passes quickly. Can you not be more generous? One hour, she repeated. I am engaged for the early evening, and later it is not safe. May I expect you? I shall be punctual, madame. Estelle, said the secretary, appearing from behind the palm, I have been looking for you. Baron von Wertmann is going. End of chapter 22